This is KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. And this is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, October 5th, 2021. I'm Kyle Kellams. Ahead this hour, a first-of-its-kind study of medical marijuana and the people who use it. The research is being conducted by the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement and the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich tells us more in about four minutes. COVID-19 numbers continue to slow in Arkansas. The Arkansas Department of Health reports 195 new cases detected in Sunday's testing and another 12 deaths because of the virus. Active cases dropped by just more than 1,000 in the last 24 hours. Hospitalizations decreased by a dozen. The Arkansas Senate is advancing three proposals seeking to walk back parts of President Joe Biden's sweeping COVID-19 vaccine mandates for workplaces. The legislative session was intended to redraw the state's four congressional districts, but has instead so far largely focused on COVID-19 rules. One proposal, Senate Bill 732, would use federal funds for unemployment payments to people fired for not complying with vaccine mandates. But Independent Senator Jim Hendren of Gravit says there's no guarantee federal funds could be used for that purpose. So I think one of the cruelest things we can do is give people this idea that they're going to get taken care of if they make the decision under this legislation to leave their job. And we know full well that there's no federal funds going to be are allocated for that and likely will be allocated for that. And that's why I wanted to be clear is don't tell the state then that we're going to come back and, and pick up the difference because you've made promises that you know are unkeepable, which is what this legislation does. The bill's sponsor, Republican Senator Blake Johnson of Corning, says it's unclear whether the state would be able to cover the cost of those unemployment payments if federal funds are not available. It says what it says. It's, it's, if it's not available, it's not available. There's all kinds of bills that's filed down here that's never appropriated funds. There's things created. I mean, it still gives those uh, exemptions for the people. The bill ultimately passed yesterday by a vote of 17 to 15. It now heads to a House committee for a vote there. Senators also gave approval to a bill that would allow employees to get regular COVID testing instead of being vaccinated. Arkansas's prices for gas have dropped slightly in the past seven days. GasBuddy.com reports the average gallon of gas in Arkansas, $2.82 today. It's about a penny cheaper than last week and a cent and a half per gallon cheaper than in early September. Still, though, almost a dollar more expensive than this day last year. A former Northwest Arkansas natural is the pick for Minor League Player of the Year by Baseball America. Bobby Witt Jr., who spent the first half of the professional season in Springdale, earned the honor yesterday. He's the second former natural to earn the award following Will Myers in 2012. And the Arkansas Razorback football game against Auburn in Fayetteville later this month will be a morning affair. The SEC office announced yesterday the Razorbacks and Tigers will kick off at 11 a.m., on Saturday, October 16th. This is Ozarks at Large. Nearly 80,000 Arkansans are registered medical marijuana users, but little is known about how they are consuming the drug and to what effect. With federal grant funding, Arkansas Center for Health Improvement, in collaboration with the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, launching a three-year study to find out. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports. 
Arkansas's medical marijuana industry, comprised of 36 dispensaries and a half dozen cultivation facilities, is regulated by a state commission. More than 60,000 pounds of medical marijuana have been sold to date, valued at over $400 million. The Arkansas Department of Health issues medical marijuana registry cards to physician-qualified patients to legally purchase the drug to treat one of 18 state-approved medical conditions, including cancer, Alzheimer's disease, neuropathy, seizure disorders, MS, PTSD, and intractable pain. However, scant data exists in the U.S. on how Americans are using medical marijuana and to what effect. But a newly launched study this month in Arkansas will provide groundbreaking insight. I believe this is the first study of its kind that is a population-based assessment for the impact of the introduction of medical marijuana in the nation. Dr. Joe Thompson is president and CEO of Arkansas Center for Health Improvement, a nonpartisan independent health policy center headquartered in Little Rock. He's co-principal investigator and also principal contact for the $1.3 million research grant issued by the National Institutes of Health. Our state has the ability through the Transparency Initiative and the All Payers Claims Database and through legislation put in place around implementation of medical marijuana to pull it together and be able to actually look at the impact of medical marijuana in our state for all users. The research team will also capture data from the Arkansas Department of Health Medical Marijuana Patient Registry, marijuana dispensary purchases, vital records, emergency department records, and Arkansas State Police motor vehicle crash data. But no patient identity will be breached in this study, Thompson says. I think importantly, this study will not have personally identifiable information. The Transparency Initiative uses a unique 44-character hash ID that blinds the study uh, individuals uh, and, and protects uh, private information statewide. Marijuana remains listed as a Schedule I drug under the Federal Controlled Substances Act, although most states have enacted laws and policies to allow for either medical or recreational cultivation, sale, distribution, and possession. But because it's an illegal substance, the medical properties of cannabis, the botanical name for the plant, has been vastly under-researched. We're excited about this study because it is kind of going to get national attention. We think we will be able to tell what strains individuals purchased to see which strains may offer the best impact and outcome for select conditions. The Arkansas research team won't have access to consumers' qualified medical conditions, however. We will not have information on the individuals and their decisions to seek a medical marijuana card for qualification. We will be able to see what conditions they historically have been treated for, and importantly, what prescription use or emergency department use or health care use they have following their purchase of medical marijuana. And possibly what blends of medical cannabis consumers most prefer to smoke, vape, or take by mouth as a tincture or gummy. So identifying what is available from the data about different forms, different strengths, different strains, that will be an important first set of steps in the study. And then based upon what we find there, we can then go forward to see what their impact is on individuals' you know, health care. 
Co-Principal Investigator Teresa Hudson is Professor of Psychiatry in the Psychiatric Research Institute at UAMS. She also directs the Center for Health Services Research at PRI. As a licensed pharmacist, Hudson knows firsthand that all drugs sold by a prescription in America are intensely scientifically vetted. Marijuana, it has been a... Uh, sort of grassroots effort, and it hasn't been put through the um, rigorous clinical trials that um, are typically used. And so it's just a fascinating way it's entered this realm of being a, a therapeutic option. Hudson says four years ago, the National Academy of Medicine called for definitive research on what medical cannabis strains and combinations impact disease. And that's still not very well defined. And so I'm hoping we can at least uh, contribute to that literature. She plans to survey the strains and blends of medical marijuana being dispensed in Arkansas. And the data that we will receive to do these analyses we will have the brand names. We will know the concentrations. We will know, are they uh, combustible? Are they edibles? Because in unlike when your doctor prescribes for you an hypertensive a medica- a medication to treat hypertension, it's a specific drug with a specific strength, and you're supposed to take it a specific number of times a day. Consumers don't have that with medical marijuana. Consumers are not advised about contraindications and optimal dosing by dispensary technicians, also referred to as bud tenders. Technicians do help consumers purchase packaged types of medicinal weed to smoke, vape, or eat. It's up to Arkansas consumers to educate themselves on how to best use the drug to treat their specific condition. Because we can get down to what strains people are using and simultaneously know what kind of diagnoses people have, we can at least say, well, people with these diagnoses seem to buy that more often. Once key anonymous data is acquired, Hudson says, researchers will measure the numbers of qualifying diagnoses among consumers, which medical marijuana remedies are being purchased, the quantity being purchased, which is monitored and limited by Arkansas Alcohol Beverage Control Board, And if patients are taking too much medical marijuana, Hudson also says no one knows if they're using less or more conventional health care while consuming the drug. So, and then the third piece, we'll go back and say, okay, how did COVID impact this? During the pandemic, Green Cross physicians, those qualified by the state to approve medical cannabis consumers, were able to work via telehealth. In-person consults are now required. But just how many Arkansans avoided pursuit of an ID card and remedies due to the pandemic is not known. Co-principal investigator Dr. Joe Thompson with Arkansas Center for Health Improvement says this statewide study on medical marijuana utilization is watershed. I hope this starts a a scientific inquiry that is population-based and that we can truly find answers for the impact of medical marijuana. We don't need to have two separate streams of treatment, the medical treatment and the medical marijuana treatment, and not have those interlaced together if there is benefit. So we're hopeful that this does shed light on the benefit or potential harms of the introduction of medical marijuana. 
The eight-member research team will not measure the recreational use of medical marijuana by those who are qualified to purchase it. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. And still to come on today's show, archery for the novice and archery for the advanced. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth spent some time at the Quiver in Osage Park in Bentonville. He'll explain how any of us can get some practice time in with our arrows. That's in about 12 minutes on today's Ozarks at Large. Arkansas's tax revenue for the first quarter of the new fiscal year is lower than the same time last year, but that 2021st quarter was a record setter. The total is close to a 17% increase above what was expected. And when comparing year-to-year September's, 2021 collections were up close to 16% compared to September 2020. First quarter revenue was more than $1.9 billion. Arkansas PBS will use a $260,000 grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and PBS to further efforts to take PBS kids' early learning work to local communities. Arkansas PBS is going to work with partners for the next four years to create what it calls a learning neighborhood to foster a community-wide culture of learning at home. More support comes from a $200,000 matching grant from the Wingate Foundation. And the Fayetteville School District is getting $80,000 from the Time Life Foundation to help improve the nutritional quality of school meals by eliminating ultra-processed foods and accelerate scratch and speed scratch cooking practices. The money will be used over a three-year period and will be used to pay for staff training and equipment. Hi, I'm Eleanor Beardsley in Paris, and I wanted to say merci beaucoup to everyone who donated to this station Your gift allows foreign correspondents like me to bring you the news from around the world that is so important to understanding our world today. Merci beaucoup. And indeed, thank you for continuing your support of KUAF last month during our annual on-air fundraiser. Sherry Ottaviano, our membership director, says we ended up with close to $154,000 raised during September. We do appreciate it, and we'll continue to bring you great radio every day of the year. A virtual interfaith forum on prayer will take place Thursday at 7 p.m. at First United Presbyterian Church in Fayetteville. I'm Jacob Adler, Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Shalom. We've been meeting since uh, 2012. It's a group of clergy, Christian, Jewish, and Muslim. That's the reason for Abrahamic. Uh, And we meet uh, usually three times a year to discuss uh, issues of common interest and uh, We've gone everything from uh, prayer to, uh, to peace uh, to uh, interfaith relations. The panel will discuss ways to empower prayer. Well, uh, you know, sometimes uh, people pray, even the most pious people that I know, and you say the words and they seem to be just words. You pray and the words seem to be deeply powerful. And so the question is, how can you achieve the, the latter and not the former? How can you make the words powerful and make they can feel like you're doing something as opposed to just feeling like you're reading a laundry list. Four religious leaders from Northwest Arkansas will speak. The panel will be moderated by Reverend John King, Emeritus Professor of Sociology at the University of Arkansas. The panelists are uh, Reverend Phil Butin, who is a co-pastor of the First United Presbyterian Church in Fayetteville, uh, Imam Abdullah Asalki, who is uh, the imam of the Islamic Center of Northwest Arkansas, and uh, Mehmet Ulupinar, who is with the uh, Gulen Islamic Movement in Little Rock, and me, uh, Rabbi Jacob Adler, uh, 
Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Shalom, and also uh, I teach Jewish studies at the University of Arkansas. If you'd like to obtain form registration, we have a phone number for you, 442-4411. We'll repeat that number at the end of our show. And stay tuned. Later this hour, we welcome Pastor Clint Neckloth back to Ozarks at Large for a couple of book recommendations. Today, he's suggesting new translations of the Gospels and Tao Te Ching. That's in under 20 minutes on Ozarks at Large. KUAF is supported by Hendricks College, offering engaged learning by linking classrooms to the world and developing career skills throughout its curriculum. Hendricks graduates pursue medical, law, and other advanced degrees, preparing students to lead lives of accomplishment. Hendricks.edu slash connect for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. Most weeks, John Brummett, a political columnist with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, considers the previous week's news with Roby Brock from our partner, Talk Business and Politics. This week, they discuss the first days of the extended regular session of the Arkansas legislature. Days spent so far with attention paid to easing vaccine mandates instead of the constitutionally required congressional redistricting. You can hear John and Roby talk about the extended regular session at talkbusiness.net. This week, they also talked about a possibility the legislature might have more power in the future. So the legislature, uh, we polled this to see if uh, there was public support for them calling themselves into a special session. Pretty even. 40% say they would be for that. 38% said they would not be for that. 22% unknown, meaning it's a pretty persuadable issue. Perhaps Mm -hmm. the folks that don't want them to have that... um, constitutional authority might use this regular session as an, uh, as their um, example for that. But at the same time, uh, what do you make of those poll results? Do you think that this is a winnable argument with the public? I think this is one of those arguments, alas, that is uh, sort of inside baseball of great interest to legislators and insiders and media people like us that will that could well go to the ballot with the people not really certain what it's about or what the stakes are. We've had we've been surprised by you know when, when annual sessions never dreamed to let the voters would vote for annual sessions. I, I think this is going to be one of those nebulous deals. And you may know of some group that's prepared to spend a lot of money to scare people about the legislature calling themselves into a special session. I don't yet. That would stop it probably. But uh, I'm absent of that kind of informational campaign and advocacy campaign against it. It's just going to float out there and we'll just have to wait and see what kind of semi-informed decisions the voters make on it. Too much, too much of our constitutional uh, uh, issues are decided that way, it seems to me. You mentioned uh, this uh, plethora of COVID-19 bills that are being debated and discussed in this extended regular session. We did get a very significant Supreme Court ruling last week on the mask mandate for public schools. Judge Fox's injunction was basically upheld by the Arkansas Supreme Court. That doesn't mean that that's where they'll land on the issue, but they did uphold the injunction. So that kind of got lost in the headlines last week, didn't it? Yeah, it's pretty big. We were all uh, uh, watching it with great interest, I remember when, Judge, when, when Tim Fox, uh, Judge Fox, issued his ruling. Uh, we all said, "Oh, I speculate about this Supreme Court. This is an this is an eccentric Supreme Court. You never know where they're going to come down." Uh, but yeah, when it happened in the middle of all this uh, state and national uh, political frenzy of last week, 
it was uh, it, it was not as celebrated by the uh, public health advocates and the mask advocates and the school mask advocates as might have been otherwise, but it was welcomed. And uh, by the way, there are seven members of the Supreme Court, as I counted, four of them did this. Uh, two, the two most partisan Republicans, former legislator Sean uh, Womack and uh, Barbara Webb, whose husband is running for lieutenant governor and was a longtime chairman of the Republican Party, they would not have upheld Judge Fox. A, f a further Republican-leaning uh, justice, Rhonda Wood, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I get off base here, but I, uh, she recused for uh, some sort of conflict, which means it was basically four of the seven. It was not s specifically a four to three vote, but four justices, Dan Kemp, Robin Wynn, Courtney Hudson, and uh, Karen Baker. We can thank them for uh, the schools, school districts, local ability to attend to the best public health interests of their children. So we should thank those four people. And that was a reflection of public opinion that we saw on that uh, issue as well when we uh, released some polling last week. Last question for you. Let's talk about the what I call the great pumpkin, the big uh, question from this polling that we just wrapped up with Talk Business and Politics in Hendricks College on eliminating the income tax. 54% uh, support, 25% don't support, 20% undecided. That's a two-to-one margin, John. If this thing gets on the ballot, do you think it sails? Yeah. Uh, I, may, I, may I say one thing about your poll before I answer that? Sure. Because one thing interested me more than it must have interested you. All this, uh, the, these right-wing legislators are running roughshod over, disrespecting uh, rudely the governor of the state. Your poll shows the governor has a 58% approval rating and the legislature has a 46% approval rating. I just want to say that Arkansas is not as rabidly right wing in the whole as it appears. The Democratic Party is so weak. The National Democrats have so alienated Arkansas that you have to be a Republican to win a general election. But to get the Republican nomination, you have to play this run to the right madness that we see Sarah Sanders and uh, Leslie Rutledge playing. Now, that said, I just want to get that in, because I think that we need to remember uh, uh, Asa's, uh, the legislature treats Asa, Governor Hutchinson, like he's nothing anymore, but he's a man who's approved by 58% of the votes. The income tax thing, I know it's, I'm, I'm of two minds on that, and I, forgive me, but sometimes two minds are necessary. One is, in a way, you just ask people, do you hate income taxes? And they did. People do. I've heard that all my life, that income taxes. People hate them, even though I think they're the fairest taxes known to mankind. They hate them because they show you on the check stub, this is what you would make if you didn't have to pay this. They just take it right off the top, and it's a, a constant reminder. So so that 54 and uh, percent said, yeah, that's that doesn't just scare me to death. What does is more interesting is the, your follow-up question. If you knew by, by eliminating the income tax, we'd have to raise other taxes, i.e. regressive sales taxes, or cut services, it only dropped by five points to 49. So, I mean, that's the issue. The second question is the issue. And if this gets to the ballot, that'll be the, the big issue. Uh, and so I think that's, I think, and if Leslie Rutledge actually follows through and we get this thing on the ballot, 
it's a favorite to pass, but there'll be a lot of organized opposition because it's frightful. We'll wind up like Kansas under Brownback a few years ago. And, and I see a fighting chance to stop it. While it's troubling, I see if you can get it down to 49 right now, just hypothetically or superficially uh, by mentioning, which is not, that's not a great deal, but it's, I, I think, I think the, uh, I'm not convinced by your, that, that you're, by your poll number, that it's a that it's a, a lay down hand to eliminate the sales tax. It's probable, but it is doable to properly frighten people into the consequences. Seems to me. John Brummett is a political columnist with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and his columns can be found at ArkansasOnline.com. He talked with Roby Brock from our partner, Talk Business and Politics. is Ozarks at Large. Wednesday, a new kind of shooting range opened in Bentonville. The Quiver at Osage Park aims to get more Arkansans to take up archery. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth has this report. Straddling an orange line in what looks like a state-of-the-art dugout, archers take aim at one of dozens of picture-perfect targets set up in a lush open field. The Quiver, a new archery range at Osage Park in Bentonville, officially opened to the public this past week. Owned and operated by the Peel-Compton Foundation, the latest attraction gives aspiring archers up to 20 lanes and 70 meters of shooting space. So we're really happy to be opening today. My staff has been here and training for uh, somewhere between three weeks to a month of archery certifications and training to work with youth. And um, we also did first aid certifications, things like that. So we're really happy to actually be open and have people out here shooting because that's what we love is to be able to pass our knowledge on to others and to help them uh, learn more about archery and to get better. Jana Stout is the site manager at the Quiver. She says there isn't any other designated archery range in northwest Arkansas that offers services on this scale. So northwest Arkansas is an area that has a lot of archers that do a lot of hunting and things like that, but we also have a lot of archery in the school program through the NAS program. But we don't have a really large outdoor range that is for target archery specifically. So it's a real good opportunity in this area, in this community, to kind of build more clubs, get kids that are interested in it. Maybe they went to camp over summer and got a taste of archery and they want to go farther with it. Then we're really poised here to help them graduate up into a more serious archery experience and also to help out like beginner archers. So like you know, if people want to come in and try it for the first time, we have all this rental equipment here for them that, you know, is very well set up for the beginner all the way to a little bit more advanced so that they can get a good taste for it before they go out and make purchases on their own, too. At the range, certified instructors help walk new shooters through safety guidelines and procedures. And the site also offers rental equipment by the hour, including recurve bows with draw weights from 15 to 30 pounds and compound bows for left and right-handed archers. Stout says they plan to offer classes and special programs for adults and kids ages 8 and older. So we have things for beginners like our Try Archery event, which is a one day, one hour kind of event where you get to come, you get to try archery, use our equipment. 
shoot at some targets, have some fun. We'll get you some balloons out there and some other unique targets to shoot at. And then we have things like Bow Basics, which is going to be a little bit like the next step. Like, okay, I came, I like it, what's next? So it's going to be a four-week course. So you come once a week and you would get an hour of training with one of our certified instructors. And we teach you more about like parts of the bow, how to use your form better, things like that. And then you get a, a coupon to come in for an hour of time to practice on your own because those practice hours is really what makes it stick. And then we also have some plans for things like advanced classes coming up maybe in the next year and so. So we're going to have some maker classes, like classes on how to make strings. So there's two kinds of strings. There's continuous loop and there's Flemish twist. And we're going to do different workshops, some maker space kind of stuff. And Stout adds that her love of archery runs deep. And she hopes this new range will help more people from all backgrounds and skill levels access the sport. My intro to Archie was actually through a combination of Renaissance festivals and Girl Scouts, so I have a lot of history and uh, love of those things. And so when I started dating my husband, he was into archery, and so we got into it together. So it's a great like thing for couples to do. We now have kids, and they shoot archery with us too, so it's a great family opportunity. So I think that we'd really like to see everybody come out and try out archery and let us share some love and passion with you guys for archery. Hourly sessions are available with equipment for $20, and the range is open each Wednesday through Sunday from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. To learn more, you can visit peelcompton.org. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Daniel Carruth. The Arkansas men's golf team starts today's second round at the Blessings Collegiate Invitational with a seven-shot lead. Meanwhile, the Razorback women rank number one, are five shots back of UCLA in second place. Live coverage of the tournament from Fayetteville is being shown today and tomorrow nationally on the Golf Channel. The Bentonville Half Marathon is Saturday. The race, delayed because of the pandemic, also offers a 5K and a virtual half marathon and a virtual 5K. There is still time to register at runbentonville.com. The city of Bentonville reminds drivers that streets used for the half marathon on Saturday will be closed beginning at 6 that morning. For the 19th year, the American Red Cross and the University of Arkansas will team up for a homecoming blood donor drive. On October 12th, that's a week from today, there will be a Bleed Razorback Red Drive open to the community at Delta Gamma Sorority House and Kappa Sigma Fraternity House. That's from 11 to 5 on the 12th. Then Wednesday the 13th, the blood drive is at the Arkansas Student Union. That's on campus. That is Wednesday the 13th from 11 to 6. The American Red Cross says donations right now are at a year's low as people delayed returning to in-person work and in-person learning and as the Delta variant surged through the summer. Last week, the former Arts Center of the Ozarks announced it is rebranding as Arts One Presents. The official launch of Arts One Presents is Thursday at Turnbow Park in downtown Springdale beginning at 4.30. Live music and a community art project part of that launch. The group is also releasing its inaugural season of events, including a production of Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. It's a play inspired by a small part of Tolstoy's War and Peace. That will be staged in February 2022. And Teen Dad, written by Northwest Arkansas writer and producer Adrian Dawes, in April 2022. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. This weekend, hundreds gathered in five different cities across Arkansas to march for reproductive freedom, including in Fort Smith, 
Mountain Home, and Fayetteville. Holly Dixon, Executive Director of ACLU Arkansas, spoke at the rally held in Little Rock. She says the marches were in direct response to the abortion law that was passed in Texas, making abortion illegal after eight weeks of pregnancy. She says folks in attendance are fed up. Well, um, we've had march after march after march, yet session after session after session, some politicians in Arkansas have been relentless at chipping away, if not seeking to do away with our reproductive liberty. And people have had it. They want our rights to be respected by politicians who've taken an oath to uphold the Constitution and protect our rights. The march in Fayetteville had about 500 people with another 150 estimated to be marching in Fort Smith. Jerry Cox, the founder and president of the Family Council, a faith-based advocacy organization based in Little Rock, says he's not surprised by the marches. It's everyone's right to march and to make their voice heard. I don't think they represent the overall view of most people here in the state of Arkansas. A 2017 poll from Pew Research shows more than half of Arkansans believe abortion should be illegal in all or most cases. A bill in 2020 was passed by the legislature banning nearly all abortions in Arkansas, but was blocked by a federal judge in Little Rock just a week before it was to go into effect. Cox and the Family Council played a role in that bill. He says the invitation is open to help again. If Senator Rapert needs our help with a Texas-style bill, then we'll be glad to help him with that because we believe that not only should abortion be restricted here in the state of Arkansas, but we also ought to look for ways to reduce the demand for abortions. Holly Dixon of ACLU Arkansas says the message the protesters are sending is clear, but that doesn't mean the legislature will listen. You know, I think they'll hear the message. Whether they'll heed that is, an, is another story. They've demonstrated time and again that our voices are not heard and are not heeded. So, you know, if they have the will to do it, they very well may uh, try to pass this extreme, cruel, dangerous, unconstitutional law here. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Scott Tong. A new study finds smoke from wildfires in Australia two years ago led to an algae bloom thousands of miles away, and that bloom is bigger than, well, Australia. Not only do they impact local ecosystems, but they can have large impact on ocean ecosystems that are thousands of kilometers away. That's next time on Here and Now. You can hear Here and Now at 1 o'clock this afternoon on KUAF and on the KUAF live stream at KUAF.com or through the KUAF app. This is Ozarks at Large. When Pastor Clinch Neckloth offers reading suggestions for us, he often brings in newer books dedicated to social justice, current events, or modern considerations. Sometimes, though, he reaches back for classics, from Isaac Asimov to Walt Whitman. Today, the classic and new intersect. And when I say classics, I mean classics. His latest book recommendations are new translations and meditations on the Gospels and the Tao Te Ching. We start with a new translation of the Gospels from Sarah Rudin. Readers of the Gospels have known this for centuries, that really when the, when the Gospels came out, these four Gospels really represented the emergence of a, a brand new genre. That's why we call them the Gospels. Mm. We don't call them like letters or nonfiction works or memoirs or you know biography of right. Jesus or whatever, because they're something else. And so um, she kind of presents in the beginning of the book her arguments around why she focused on 
the Gospels in particular and and why she wanted to do a new translation. Um, but what I love is, I, I mean, I have periodically read excellent translations of the whole New Testament, which is how a lot of times people approach it. Like David Bentley Hart came out with a translation of the whole New Testament a couple of right. years ago that was popular. But I love the focus just on the Gospels. Um, and by looking at this book, I mean, the Gospels themselves wouldn't fill all of those pages. Or would they? Well, they they would. Well, okay. If you look, you can see her introductory stuff is maybe really only about, oh. I don't know what, an eighth mm-hmm. of the book. And then the um, Gospels go up here to about page 330. Oh. Now, part of the reason that is, is because she did periodically put in notes, like or... some footnotes about different parts about why she translated it the way that she did. But it's also true that like most of the time when you read a Bible, a Bible's been formatted with very small print true, with columns and stuff like that. Right. And this is formatted like you would read any nonfiction book. I see. So the Gospels are actually longer than you might think. The shortest gospel, the Gospel of Mark, if you read the whole thing out loud, it would take about two hours. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a movie version of the Gospel of John where it's all out loud and it took about two and a half hours. Okay. So yeah, I, I would say the four Gospels together are like reading a novel. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, a couple, Just a couple things. I'm not going to go into incredible detail about her translation other than to say that... Um, one of the reasons I love Sarah Rudin is she's so sensitive to um, – she tips on the side of t- – toward the literal. So this is not like reading oh, – like an example might be Eugene Peterson's The Message where it's a kind of a paraphrased version mm-hmm. of the Bible. This is much more of she wants to stay close to the original Greek as she can, but she's a, an amazing writer. So therefore, it's not as clunky as some literal translations would be, where you're like, "Oh, why is the word order opposite of normal English?" Or Which can be like off-putting right. to a casual reader, right? Yeah. Um, but she does do one thing that pushes you to think the whole time that you're reading it that you are really reading um, an old, old book, and that is that she does. She made the interesting decision not to translate place names and names into modern English. So instead of saying um, Judea, mm-hmm. she says Eodia, which is a transliteration of the Greek, and or um, the people, a lot of the people that are named, um, like John, instead of John, it's Ioannis. Are there footnotes that would help us yeah. know this? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then at the beginning of the book, the, she has the ones that she chose, the unfamiliar trans, trans, transliterations of important proper names in the Greek texts. Okay. And I found that actually to be at first kind of surprising as a decision. And then the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, okay, I kind of see why you would do this because um, it introduces the right amount of distance. In time. Yeah. We are reading something... That's millennia old. Right. Without it being affected and inaccessible, which sometimes happens when, if you know, like 
when have you been in, in church, for example, and the pastor weighs in on, well, the real translation of dikaiosune is, and then goes into a long exposition of dikaiosune, which is like translated as like righteousness mm. from the Greek. And at a certain point, you're just like, okay, fine. You know, like, yeah, I, I hear you. But whereas the p- names are just names. Right. So you can ad- you can adapt to that pretty right. easily. Also, it follows a format that's true, that's um, kind of tried and true in other tr- translations from very foreign languages. For example, there's a lot of discussion whenever you read uh, translations of like the Russian novels mm-hmm. about how they do the names because right. naming is so different in Russian than English. And so it, it also kind of conforms to that general pattern. Right. You'll find that in Icelandic crime novels as well. Will you really? Yeah. Okay. I've seen that in Iceland, like the the sagas, mm-hmm. but I haven't read that many Icelandic crime novels. So I've got a collection that I can loan you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of markers and every mm-hmm. last name has Dotir on the end. If or it's a, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the other fun thing to know about Sarah Rudin that um, I just find fascinating and it contributes to how she does the translation is... Uh, she is a – she's truly a hardcore scholar, right? Like, I mean, she can translate out of um, Greek and Latin and she's um, – I think she's had like major fellowships like the Jugendheim Fellowship and stuff like that. And she's at Yale um, and then a researcher at multiple other universities. So she's got that scholarly acumen right. that, that feels very kind of like secular and puts this text – alongside other ancient texts, you know, like you put the Gospels alongside, you know, the Aeneid as right. opposed to, oh, it's a special book. On the other hand, she's a Quaker mm. and uh, and active within the Quaker tradition. And um, so she's not translating out of a completely uh, academic, secular, she's translating out of a a marginal but really fascinating faith community. Right, right. And that contributes to how she approaches the text as well, and it's, it's just kind of really fun that way. The Gospels, as translated by Sarah Rudin, that is relatively new? That's Yeah, it's brand new this year. Okay. Uh-huh. And, and you have it, speaking of translations, paired with this other book. Yeah. Okay, I don't know how to say this guy's last name. That's fine. I should have learned it before, but it's Mark S. I think it's Mullinax, M-U-L-L-I-N-A-X. And um, it is a new translation of the Tao Te Ching, Power for the Peaceful is the full title. So the Tao. Right. Now I'll confess, I don't know about you, but I haven't read closely very many of the other great world religious texts. Um, Not because I was avoiding them, but just because I've just always been in this kind of like Western Christian milieu. Yes. Um, And even in seminary, when we were reading sacred texts, there's a pretty heavy duty focus on the Bible because that's what clergy end up having to like teach most of the time. And I've only accidentally been able to have some time, you know, like reading things like the Quran Mm -hmm. or um, other great texts like that. So I haven't spent a lot of time reading the Tao. Um, and and to a certain degree, I find some of those texts intimidating. Yes, they're out of a completely different culture. Exactly. So, how do you enter? How do you begin to understand? Right. Yeah. 
and this would go for like any great religious tradition outside of the one that I've been raised in. So whether it's like Confucian texts or Sanskrit or, and then also there's that whole issue of translation. Mm-hmm. Like I know, I only know enough to know that really the Quran is only the Quran when you're reading it in the Arabic within their own theological tradition. Sure. Everything, every translation, well. Isn't really the Quran. Right. And that's to a certain degree maybe true within certain Hindu uh, traditions as well. And I don't always know, you know, fully. I'm not a multi-religious scholar. Right. But this came out this year and the guy uh, that translated it, his, interestingly, he's, he's in Asheville, North Carolina teaches courses at Mars Hill University, which is like a Christian university. So he's been teaching this text to, I'm assuming, uh, primarily uh, Christian Christian students, but he teaches East Asian spiritual traditions and has especially sat with this text for, for years and then finally decided to do a translation of it. And, um, one thing to know about a lot of those texts, especially the Eastern ones, and it, it, it's taken me a long while to process this and really um, adopt in my own thinking and practice that this is true. A lot of the Eastern quote-unquote religions are more like philosophy than mm. a religion per se. Okay. Right, like a guide to living. Um, As opposed to this is a chronicle of events that, well, I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right, like a history of that faith's right, development or right. something. Or what I think probably a lot of people think, especially in the Christian West, maybe especially in our area, is uh, they think that uh, something like, say, Buddhism is a way of being saved in the way that Christians think mm. that Christianity is a way of being saved. But what if some religions are not, aren't even about being saved and exactly. they're about like just how to live life or whatever, right? And if you think that way, then you realize there doesn't really have to be much inherent tension between those traditions and Christianity at all. Like I think on a lot of levels, it'd be – it's. Uh, I know many people who are Buddhist Christian, for example, and don't see any mm-hmm. disconnect there. Um, so with the Tao, it's not a very long text, but the way that this author has done the translation is to um, – it's a, it's a little bit more like a kind of a devotional book. So you can see he'll do a page that's the – so the Tao is numbered. And so there's these different uh, – they're, they're like short chapters. Right. So he translates that text and then he lines it up on the other side with well-known quotes from uh, – it could be uh, – Well, I see just reading upside down, he's com- – Aligning one with Deuteronomy, but also one with Walt Whitman. Walt Whitman, right. Um, And the Tao is very um, meditative in the sense that sometimes on a first read, you're like, what? You know, sometimes it'll state something that almost seems obvious. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll just read one as an example. Um, any track one can walk is no path for the eternal way. Any name one might borrow for Tao cannot summon it. Names are just sounds for ordinary things. I like that. Yeah. And so then he compares it to, for example, this quote of Heinrich Zimmer, 
the best things can't be told, the second best are misunderstood. Mm. Oh, yeah, I see that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's what's cool about the Tao, seriously, is like I'm already thinking like, first I'm thinking, what did that even mean? And then the more that I think about it, I'm like, whoa, you know. And then, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, there's just a lot there, and you can sit with any one of them for quite a while. And that's why I think the format choice by the author is so good. So rather than just a straight translation and act like it's a book, it's not. It's a, it's a, a text for meditation. And then he offers some notes for, refre- for reflection at, from himself as the author and then moves on to the next uh, chapter. So I, I had this on vacation and uh, was just taking like one chapter a day, right? You know, and just kind of meditating on it. And it's just been a lot of it's been a lot of fun. Let me ask. Okay, so I'm not a professional in in your business, but do you see any similarities between the Tao and Psalms? Yes, that actually all that whole wisdom area. Yeah. Of the. Um, I, I, I guess if you wanted to compare it to what part, what part of the old Testament it's most like, I might say Ecclesiastes. Mm. Okay. Because there's this kind of focus on detachment, um, uh, getting a sense of yourself within the whole that's appropriate. Right. Right. Uh, um, pro- I mean, and, and, and I guess Proverbs too, but Proverbs is a little bit too focused on being great. <laughs> on you being know. great. Well, Proverbs gives you guidance on how to be a great like leader or as opposed to self improvement. Well, or, or like or like Ecclesiastes is like you can't really be great. Everything's okay. just kind of you know, it has a much more um uh, humbling, humbling, or almost nihilist approach oh, to the word, okay. the world. Ecclesiastes does right. in particular. Right. Nihilist isn't quite the right word. There's more meaning there than right. You know, but 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 you have a lot of lines in Ecclesiastes like everything is a weariness of the flesh. Right. Of right. the writing of many books, there is no end. You know those kinds of. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, I see what you're saying. And uh, and the Tao is like that too. It's like kind of taking you through these exercises to um, move away from the ways in which desire like captures or captivates you and then causes, mm. uh, you know, pain because you haven't really released that. Pastor Clinch Neckloth is the lead pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Fayetteville. Today, he suggested the books, The Gospels, a new translation by Sarah Rudin, and Tao Te Ching, Power for the Peaceful, a new translation by Mark S. Mullinax from Mars Hill University. This is Ozarks at Large. Tens of thousands of Afghans are at U.S. military facilities stuck in a sort of limbo waiting for the next chapter of their lives. Nobody knows when are we going out. Nobody knows when the process is going to end, and there is nobody to give you answers. I'm Ari Shapiro. We hear one woman's experience this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. All Things Considered this afternoon from 3 to 6 on KUAF. Tomorrow morning on KUAF on the Community Spotlight with Pete Hartman, a preview of this year's Fort Smith Children's Center fundraiser, Havana Nights. 
No such 2020 event because of the virus. But FSCS is back with the event Friday night at the Fort Smith Bakery District. And we'll get a preview tomorrow morning. Later this week on the Community Spotlight, news from the University of Arkansas School of Art and UA Global Campus in Bentonville. The Community Spotlight, every weekday morning at 6.30 and 8.30 on KUAF. Tonight on KUAF, Peter Vandergraaff places a spotlight on Stravinsky. From his ballet music to violin sonatas. Nine consecutive hours of classical music, including Stravinsky, tonight beginning at 8 on KUAF. And by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF. Tomorrow, on our show, we'll talk with Kobe Davis, the president of the Northwest Arkansas chapter of the NAACP. That and much more at noon and 7 on KUAF. And one more in-house programming matter to discuss. Terry Gross is now part of our Saturday morning lineup on KUAF. Fresh Air Weekend can be heard at 11 o'clock each Saturday morning. That's right after It's Been a Minute with Sam Sanders. Now an hour earlier each Saturday morning, beginning at 10. The Eureka Springs Original Ozark Folk Festival takes place November 11th through the 14th. This year's lineup starts with Gangsta Grass, with opening act The Creek Rocks. Also appearing, Todd Snyder, Sam Baker, and Arkansas. Event schedule, ticket information, and more available at eurekasprings.org. Okay, before we leave you on this Tuesday, let's once again give you the forum registration phone number for the interfaith uh, discussion that Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Prolick reported on earlier this hour. That number is 442-4411. This is KUAF 91.3, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Alma. You can listen to KUAF anytime, anywhere with the KUAF app. It's free for iPhone and iPad. Timothy Dennis produced today's show, and contributors included Jacqueline Froelich, Daniel Carruth, and Matthew Moore. Additional content came from the newsroom at KUAR, that's public radio, in Little Rock. Daryl Sean is the musician and composer responsible for our theme. You can find out more about him wherever you find out more about music online. The weekly conversations between John Brummett, a political columnist for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and Roby Brock with our partner Talk Business and Politics are part of our ongoing relationship with Talk Business and Politics. And, of course, our appreciation to Pastor Clint Schneckloth from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Fayetteville for another round of reading recommendations. You can listen to us whenever you want. Just subscribe for free to the KUAF podcast available through all major podcast distributors. We return tomorrow at noon and 7 on KUAF and at KUAF.com from the Carver Center. For Public Radio, I'm Kyle Kellums. Thanks so much for being with us.